Thank you very much. It's good to be here this evening. And a wonderful Wednesday night crowd, I'll tell you that. So a lot of churches would be, uh, the pastor would probably have a heart attack if as many people showed up on Wednesday night. But that's a blessing. I'm glad that you're here and pray that the Lord would help us uh, this evening. This is a, a new sermon, new message. I've never preached it before. It's kind of like fresh bread, homemade bread. But uh, I got some preserves I put on it too that I've had around a while. But uh, I hope it'll be a help and a blessing. It's kind of a to me now Wednesday nights and in uh, six day meetings or eight day meetings are kind of a transition in my heart and mind and the way I try to do things and I feel like the Lord has led, leads me to go this way. But tomorrow night and Friday night I've believe I know what the Lord would already have me to preach. I don't usually know way ahead of time, but I do tomorrow and Friday night, I believe. And I, I want you to think about the messages Thursday and Friday night in this light. You know, a lot of times, and the pastor uh, alluded to it earlier about, I don't know the exact term he used, but cranking down and preaching hard and and that's and I'm all for it, and I like to do it, and I believe it's the will of God on occasion. But I want to preach tomorrow night and Friday night on what we have in Christ Jesus, and how that ought to help us to live our lives the way He wants us to live, because of what He has done for us. And I hope it'll be a help and a blessing uh, to you. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's a very, very short chapter. I think I'll read it all. It's the end of Moses' life. Uh, he's on the last mountain peak of his uh, earthly journey, uh, except for the time in the New Testament when he came back there with the Lord. And that's an interesting thing, but we're not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan and all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea and the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho the city of palm trees unto Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed, for I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher until this day, unto this day. And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, 
whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and in all that mighty hand and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. I want to talk to you tonight. I'm not overly familiar with this term. I hear kids say it. I hear young people say it. I uh, see it in the paper sometime. And so I had to Google my title. FaceTime with God. And you notice it said there the last little phrase in verse 10. Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. So I want to talk to you about FaceTime with God. Well, this is what Google said. Now, it's not my language. This is Mr. Google's. He said, FaceTime is time spent in face-to-face contact with someone. Now, I don't know if that means you can see the other person on the other end of your phone. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. You know, the kids talk about stuff. They talk about spam. When I was a boy, spam was potted meat that had this jelly stuff on it, and we seemed to eat it when we were poor. But it means something else nowadays. And if you have a computer, you have something called a mouse. And if you had a mouse in your house, if I had a mouse in our house, at our place, I've got to get all the traps out, and we've got to catch every single one of them before we can ever go to sleep again for the rest of our lives. They have something called hard drive now. To me, that was a long journey that was really tough. But I want to talk to you tonight about FaceTime with God. He was a man, Moses, who knew the Lord face to face. I saw something else in studying this yesterday. Uh, There are six times in verses 11 and 12 when he talks about all. And so I looked in my phone. I've got a concordance in my phone now. And Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 9 talks about all the days. How he recalled and rehearsed what God had done for him all the days of their lives. I think that's been some of the testimonies tonight. How good God has been to us all the days of our life. Not just since we've been saved, but all the days of our life. I thought about when the brother was testifying, he called himself a dog a couple of times. And I thought about that, you know, the Lord, us Gentile dogs, we we at least get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. God takes care of his own. I read there in the 10th verse of chapter 4, all the days that they feared God. In chapter 6 and verse 2, all the days that they kept God's statutes. All the days in chapter 12 and verse number 1, where they observed to do what God had told them to do. In chapter 16 and verse number 3, they rehearsed all the days of God's deliverance. And chapter 17 and verse 9, all the days that they would keep His Word. God wants us to never forget that He has sent us 
that he has saved us, that he has protected us, that he has supplied for us, and that God wants to use every one of us. I want to give, it's not a long message tonight. That's one of the things that happens to me with new messages. They're either too short or too long. And I've learned this, that most folks, they like the short ones more than the long ones. So this might just be too short tonight. I don't know. But I want to just give you three truths that the Lord gave me about having face time with him. What it reveals. I want you to contemplate initially this truth. Satisfaction comes from participation. We need just to get with it. You know, the happiest people, in my mind anyway, that have been in this meeting since Sunday morning are those that have given what God wanted them to give. Now, I wouldn't be surprised there's some people here tonight that haven't given what God wants them to give yet. I'm pretty satisfied in giving what God told me to give. Hey, FaceTime with God is participating in what he is doing. The average Christian, they want to go off and do something and hope God gets interested in what they're doing. I think the secret to the Christian life is finding out what God wants to do and getting in it with him. Giving of our time, investment in the lives of others. Moses had a full and effective life by being involved in the lives of others. You can reach people with the gospel. We were, we, the preacher asked me last night if I wanted anything to eat on the way home, and I don't eat a lot after church. I said, I want a $1 hamburger at McDonald's, and I want a $1 uh, fruit uh, parfait at McDonald's. I was very disappointed, though, the parfaits are more than a dollar down here in North Georgia. They are gouging us, I can tell you that right now. And he bought it for me, I think it's $2.30-something. There was a fella in there, I mean, I don't know, his body looked like a mural. He had a tattoo on this side of the devil. He had a tattoo on this side, of a, all down this arm, all down that arm. Uh, all down the back of his neck, side of his face. He was all tattooed up. And uh, I looked at that character. He had, he had pretty good muscles. He had a muscle shirt on. He wanted everybody to see his muscles, I guess, and his tattoos. And I only had one gospel track on me. I had a Oliver B. Uh, B. Green. It was really, it's a booklet. On, uh, it's called Believe. And I went over the fella and I said, I'd like to give you a little gospel to read. And he took it. And the preacher knew him. Preacher and him were buddies, I guess. They used to <laughs> run together. Preacher even knew his name. His name was Tony, wasn't it? Man, we talked that fellow there in that place. Hey, if I'm going to have some face time with God and meet with him face to face, I've got to participate in what he is interested in. You can too. You can too. You can be a part of what God's interested in. In second place, I want you to consider that authentication is derived from a life of humility. If anything ever amounts to God, 
in and through our lives, it has to come from a platform of humility. The Bible says about Moses in chapter 12 of the book of Numbers in verse number 3 that he was very meek that he was the meek, one of the meekest men, if not the meekest man in all the earth. When you do what God wants and not what you want, and you are doing all that he desires of your life, there's a great fulfillment of the, de of the destiny that God has planned for your life. I think we ought to live a life that makes God smile. We ought to do things that put joy in God's heart. I got another little sermon I'm working on. I found a verse, I think it's over in Joel chapter 2, and uh, it talks about God singing. I never noticed God did a lot of singing. And I, I thought about that, and there's singing all through the Bible, and we've had great singing here this week in the meeting from the choir and the specials. It's just been wonderful, the music, the singing. And, and Jesus sang, the Bible says there, when they went out under the Mount of Olives after the Last Supper, they sang. And when we get to heaven, you talk about being a singing crowd and a singing choir. We are going to be one when we get up there. Doing what God wants. Uh, sad to say, I, I see a lot of Christians in life, uh, they rebel. They rebel against what God wants. They believe a lie about themselves. When we believe a lie about ourselves, I think part of that is ego and it morphs into pride. And we get disappointed down the road of life because uh, we have an overemphasis on what we want and not what God wants. I, I, I read this. I, put a little, I don't write a lot of notes in my Bible. But Moses was 120 years old there in verse number 7 when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. I thought about that. He didn't need glasses, nor a wheelchair. His eyes were just like they were. He had 20-20 vision, I guess, and his natural force was not abated. He could get around. His vision and vitality were unequal because he had spent some face time with God. And in verse number 6, I can see there that God's the only one who'll ever be able to visit Moses' grave. He's the only one that knows where he was buried. He never told anybody else. I'm saying tonight, one of the greatest things that I could compliment a Christian on being is being real. Just be yourself. Be what God has developed in your life. We don't have to be like someone else, sing like someone else, preach like someone else, look like someone else. We can be what God made us to be. God came into this world in, the, in magnificent insignificance. He robed himself in flesh in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came into our hearts and lives to rearrange some furniture in our life and right across the for sale sign of our being bought, we have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We realize now that he stands in the cathedral of our soul and he speaks to us from the scroll of memory inscribed in our minds 
Sure, the sharpened sword has been sung about a little bit tonight. The sharpened sword of sorrow may pierce your soul, but it's been sterilized, thank God, by the oil of the Spirit of God. And these heartaches are sanctified and the pains of death are loosed for there is no sorrow, no slight, nor sickness that heaven cannot heal. That's going to be the greatest healing campaign in the history of the world when the rapture takes place. Spurgeon said this, I thank God for every storm that has wrecked me on the rock, Christ Jesus. Randy Pike, my good friend, ancient man, he said this, the final duty for Christ, our last ministry is to die with integrity and honor. God help us to recognize this mag- the magnitude of the rare privilege it is to be a born again child of God. We are not in the majority tonight, but we are a blessed minority that God has saved by his marvelous grace. Now, I told you this wouldn't be very long because I'm at my conclusion. Our perspective comes from the joy in living a life well lived for him. Now forgive my personal testimony. Preacher talked about uh, the book about our family and he talked about uh, I think Sunday a little bit about my little sister who died on March the 28th 2011. I can hardly believe over seven years ago Now she passed away, not quite 50 years old. Spent half of her life in New Guinea, her and her husband. Had her funeral. All of of her brothers spoke. All five of us boys spoke. My dad spoke. Her husband, John, who is still a missionary uh, there in New Guinea, he, he spoke. When he preached a message that day, did a tremendous, tremendous job. I think the best job of any preacher that I've ever heard who had to preach his wife's funeral. But he didn't, you know, most times when your mate dies, if you're a preacher, your wife dies or whatever, uh, you have a funeral two or three days later or so, maybe a week at the most. But he had 30 days before they could get her body back to the States from Brisbane, Australia, where she died there in hospice care. And he said when he preached, he said, I... Uh, my wife had told me, now this is, inter- you'd have to know my little sister. You know, really, I'll just be frank. I'll throw this in because I got time. Little sisters are a pain in the neck, just to be honest with you. I was 15 years old when she was born. I hardly knew the little brat. But, and she, she, was a, she was spoiled. And she, uh, I don't think she ever got a licking if she... And that's probably what was half the matter with her. She should have got some along the road life. I could have turned her in a few times myself. I guess I should have. But she told him in the Bible what portion of Scripture to preach her funeral from. She had it all outlined. She had the message for him. Maybe that's why it was easier for him. I don't know. But he said that he knew the portion of Scripture that he was to preach from. And so he got her Bible to preach it from. And he said... When I opened her Bible, a piece of paper fluttered to the floor. He said, I reached down and picked up that piece of paper. And on that piece of paper was a title. 
And the title of the 10 things that were on that page were the 10 things that I love. So she wrote, number one, I love my Savior. Now any born again child of God, that would be all, that would have to be number one. I love my Savior. Oh, how I love Jesus tonight. I love my Savior. And she said, number two, I love my daughter. Now, they did not have any children of their own. A chief there in New Guinea uh, was so enamored with uh, her, my little sister, and her husband that along the course of life, he gave his granddaughter when she was just a little baby, she, he gave that granddaughter to my sister and her husband to raise and to raise her for God. That little girl now, she's probably 25 years of age or more now, she, uh, she graduated from Michigan State University, never went on the campus, I don't think, in her life. She did it all on the Internet. She is now a lawyer in uh, New Guinea, faithful Christian, serving God. She said, I love my daughter. Number three, she said, I love my daddy. Talking about our father. I think any girl, I would say this, young men, if you ever want to marry a, a girl somewhere down the road of life, and I would highly recommend that you do marry a girl, and not the, you got to say that nowadays, I guess. If you ever marry a girl, one of the things that you need to really, really look at is how she treats her father. If she doesn't treat her father right, one of these days she's not going to treat you right. She mouths off to her daddy, she'll mouth off to you. She sasses her daddy, she'll sass you. If she talks down to her father, she'll talk down to you. But my little sister loved her daddy. She said, number four, I love my churches. She loved her home church, which is our church in Michigan. She loved the churches that they had built there in New Guinea and loved the people that uh, were the members there. She said, I love, number five, she said, I love Papua New Guinea. I don't really, I've never been to Papua New Guinea. I never, it's one of the places I never really wanted to go. Papua New Guinea is full of crocodiles and malaria and bugs and malaria and leeches and malaria and witch doctors and malaria and spiders and malaria and snakes and malaria and tropical heat and you guessed it, malaria. If you ever get malaria, you're going to have malaria the rest of your life. It never stops. I couldn't tell you, I don't know how many times We'd get messages they, that John and uh, my sister had malaria. just a common, common thing. <laughs> Talk about leeches. One day John had to come off the field. He had something. He was losing his vision. And so he came to Lansing and went to Michigan State University. And they had a tropical disease uh, department there. And so he went into the doctor there. And the doctor examined his eyes uh, with a microscope or whatever they used, uh, you know, an eye doctor would look into a fellow's eyes with, and the doctor, when he looked into my brother-in-law's eyes, he cursed. For in my brother-in-law's eye was a leech. 
that had affixed itself to his eyeball and was sucking the fluids out of his eyeball and taking his vision. Now, I don't know what a leech would look like through a microscope, but it probably looked like a dinosaur or something. She loved Papua New Guinea. She, uh, she had written down number six, I, I love chocolate. And my little brother-in-law said, you know, I am on the list. He said, I'm number seven right after chocolate. Tells you a lot about him. And he told, and I might have told this story in this church before, I don't know. He told about when they were just there a few weeks, he was passing out tracts and preaching on the street in Fort Moresby. He was jumped by 12 or 15 men and nearly killed. They, they beat him, they cut him with machetes and uh, knives and other things. And up, upwards of nearly 40 cuts from his shoulders to the top of his head. They put him in the hospital there. My sister was out in the jungles where they lived, out in the swamp really where they lived. And she couldn't get to where he was. And of course he had to stay in the hospital several days and then he had a little float plane to get to where they were and he got on the plane and flew there and got off the plane and she met him and he was like a mummy uh, from about here on up and his face was all wrapped in gauze, his little eye holes, nose hole, mouth holes and, and little ear holes and that's all he had. And so they went to the house where they lived and, and he said, now Mary, I've got to take these bandages off and she said, well, I'll help you. He said, no, no, I, I look terrible. I don't want you to see me like I am. And so, like most men, we'd be about the same way. I'd be the same way. He got all the gauze off, all the bandages off, and he was able to get the, the ointment on the different places on his person where he had been cut and wounded. But he, he couldn't get the bandages back on sensibly, and finally he had to called my little sister in the room, said, Mary, you're going to have to help me. I can't do this alone. He said, Mary walked into the room and saw me. I could see in her eyes what I must have looked like. He said, but she took my head in her hands and kissed all of those nearly 40 open wounds and said then she, moved, she stepped back a little bit with my blood, dried blood and ointment on her chin and lips and said, John, you're the most handsome man in the world to me and I love you. I love my husband, she said. She said, I love my school and they have Christian schools now all over the country. She said, I love my Bible, number nine, and who... Who wouldn't love this book? Who wouldn't, as a child of God, who wouldn't read this book every single day? You may not read it as much as a preacher reads it, but you ought to let that book bathe your soul to some extent every single day of your life. You talk about having some face time with God. That book is chock full of God. And if you get that book in your life, you're going to be chock full of God. He'll help you. And then number 10. Number 10 was in shorthand, and he couldn't read shorthand. He didn't know what she had written. He had 30 days, I told you that, to try to decipher. And so 
He somehow made a copy and, you know, on computers and everything nowadays. He uh, got it back to the States and somebody deciphered what she had written in shorthand. And this is what that dying girl wrote. She said, I love my cancer. For the cancer, this cancer is allowing me to be conformed to the image of God's son. She said, I love my cancer because it's making me a partaker in the fellowship of his suffering. And I love my cancer because it's the vehicle that will transport me one day into the presence of God. I don't know if you believe this or not, but the characters that we read about in the Bible, they're just regular folk that had a little face time with God. That spent a little more time with him than they do with NBC and CBS and ESPN and all the rest of the foolish numbers. They spent a little bit more time with him than the foolishness of this old world. I don't know how much time you spend with him But the more, the better. I don't think you could get too much of God. I don't think you can get too much of the Bible. I don't think you can get too much of the Holy Ghost. I don't think you can get too much of Jesus and his love and the rapturous care that he has for all of us. I pray tonight that somehow we could get it in our hearts and minds, the importance, uh, the necessity the opportunity, the privilege that we have to spend some time face to face with him. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I don't know where you are in your Christian life. I don't know how interested you are in it all. I'm very interested. I'm enamored with it. I'm excited about it. I'll be 70 years old next year. I'm more excited about him tonight than I ever remember in my whole life. I'm not getting less interested. I'm not sitting on my laurels. I'm not counting on past blessing to help me with today's problems. I'm looking for him every day, every moment, every minute, moment by moment, second by second. He's always there to help us. And I don't know where you are in life. I don't know. Maybe you're facing a problem at the house. Maybe you've got a situation in your life. Maybe you've got some health issues. I've had some. You've had some. We've all had some. Maybe you've got some financial problems. Maybe you've got a spiritual problem. You've been a little negative about this week even. Something's bothered you. Something's upset you. Maybe at work things aren't going all that great. I think it'd be good tonight, it's not my language, to have a little face time with the Heavenly Father. Face to face with Him. Look into his marvelous face. He speaks to our hearts. 
does what needs to be done in our lives. Let's stand our feet as they play. A few people have come. Maybe you need to come tonight. Get in this altar. About whatever God's talking to you about. You know what he talks to you about he may never talk to me about. What he talks to me about he may never discuss with you. But he wants to help us. He wants us to draw closer. He wants to pile in at it. Wants us to pile in at his feet. Preacher said it earlier. We need to worship him. I heard an old preacher. He's in heaven now. Curtis McCarley. He preached at my dad's church. It's the first time I ever heard it said. I've heard it said several times since. There's two times to praise God. When you feel like it and when you don't. When you feel like it and when you don't. Just ought to praise Him and thank Him and ask Him for help and ask Him for encouragement and ask Him for His blessings in our lives. Be a good thing. Be a good thing. Participate. I think one of the men testified, I think it was last night, about inviting people. Got just two more nights. Invite some people. I'm not going to say anything mean tomorrow night or Friday night. I really don't. I was talking to one of the brethren before church. <laughs> I got saved in 1970. Everybody preached hard in 1970s. Everybody nailed everything. They preached against everything. Even if it wasn't wrong, they preached against it. And we shouted about it. We rejoiced over it. Didn't bother. We were glad. Now you got to tiptoe through the tulips. And I'm not Tiny Tim. You don't even remember him, do you? I hope you don't. That imbecile. <laughs> Way back when. I've never said Tiny Tim in the pulpit in my life. I wish I hadn't tonight. God help us. We can participate. We can invite people from other churches. They don't go to church on Thursday or Friday night. We can invite lost people Thursday and Friday night. There'll be gospel messages preached and things telling about what Jesus can do for a sinner and what Jesus has already done for us sinners. I hope, I hope you'll be a participator. It'll authenticate your faith. It'll encourage you. I was preaching, I preached Palm Sunday and I preached Easter Sunday. Palm Sunday in Ohio, Easter Sunday in Arizona. It was interesting to me. And both of those singular services, there were young men who had white t-shirts on. Both of them sat rather close to the front in the auditorium. And I preached and one of the boys in a white t-shirt, I kind of kibitzed with him. I you know, somebody sitting in the second or third row, you think they're a pretty good Christian. And I gave the invitation. He raised his hand that he was lost. And down the aisle he came. The next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and out in Yuma, Arizona, there was another young man there. Uh, I've, the first guy was 24 years old. He looked younger than that. The other boy, he looked like he was 24, and he was about 18, white T-shirt. Down the aisle he came, got saved. I've been looking for boys in white shirts ever since, white t-shirts, to get them saved, get them saved. God wants to save people. God wants to bless his people. 
God wants us to be encouraged and spend some time face to face with him.